Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today, and welcome. And it's good to see a number of visitors with us, and welcome to you to a series that we're doing called New at the beginning of a new year and indeed a new decade. We are thinking about new as revealed to us in Scripture. And today we are looking at a new hope, a new hope. Let me ask you a question as we go into 2020. How much hope do you have? How much hope? do you have? I like the story that I heard of a man uh, a number of hundreds of years ago who had been sentenced to death, but who came, came to an agreement with the king at that time. The agreement was this, that he would make the king's horse fly within a year. Uh, if he didn't succeed, his death penalty would still come to be just a year later. Now, for some, that didn't sound like a good deal, but he was asked about it, and he said, well, who knows what will happen in the year ahead? Maybe the king will die. Maybe I will die. Maybe the horse will die. Or who knows, maybe the horse will learn to fly. Who knows what will happen in the year ahead? How much hope do you have going into the new year and the new decade. There are various things that might impinge upon the hope that we have going into the new year. Here are some of the things that I was thinking about and you can add to your list. Uh, family issues might affect the hope that we have going into a new year. If things are not going well in the family, perhaps in a, um, a significant relationship with a spouse, with a parent, with a child, those kind of things might burden us to reduce the hope that we have. Our health, which when everything is okay, we can take for granted, maybe there are health issues that we face that can burden us and can rob us of hope coming into a new year. It may be in work. There could be things that affect us there. We might have difficulties within work or insecurities within work. Will our job last? How are things going to work out? Our finances, if we're struggling for money, these kind of things can all impinge upon the hope that we have. Let's take it wider than ourselves for a moment. How much do, hope do we have for the country and the world? Uh, just before Christmas, there was an election, and you may have noticed that. Um, uh, and for some people, the result of the election might be a source of hope. For others, a source of despondency. And in all likelihood, there will be people here today on both sides of that. Look at our world. Look at what's happening in the Middle East right now. Look at what's happening in Australia with the bushfires and the things that are happening with the environment. These kind of things can affect how much hope we have looking into the future. And what about spiritually? How much hope do we have spiritually? Look at society around us as we see more and more people who think church is irrelevant for them. And we have more and more people saying they have no faith 
no religion whatsoever. Take it perhaps for a church. This church here. How much hope do you have for the church looking into the future and the new things that are going to be happening? Uh, And what about ourselves? Spiritually, how much hope do you have in your walk with God or the possibility of a walk with God if you come here today and you don't yet know him? How much hope do you have Well, let me talk a little bit about the context of Isaiah 65 at the moment, because we could describe for this people that are being written to that there is a crisis of hope going on. Let me tell you a little bit about what has happened for them. In years gone by, they have been invaded by the Babylonians, and for the country that meant devastation. All the wealth that they had, well, that was plundered and taken away. The best of the people were relocated, taken from the spot that they lived and moved to a different part of the empire. The idea being you can divide and rule. These kind of things that are happening caused great loss of hope for them. But now, many years later... They have returned to the land. And here they are in the land and things like, well, the temple has been rebuilt. And yet they are still struggling for hope. You see, as they look at the temple, they can see it doesn't have the glory that it used to have in previous days. As they look around, there are still cities and towns that are ruined and haven't been rebuilt. Even though they have returned to their own land, they are still under oppression. They don't have the freedom that they had all of those years ago. And as they look into the future, there doesn't appear to be any hope of things changing. These are a people who have a crisis of hope. What about us today? Is there a crisis of hope? of hope in our society today. I want to share a few things. I will get around to the passage a little bit later. It's going to take me a little bit longer this morning than usual. But there's a reason for that, because I want to think about where does hope come from if you don't have faith? And I began to think about that a little bit more. Whilst we were on holiday this year, there was a moment we went into um, a bookshop, and it had stationery there. And you know in some of these places, they have displays of books. Uh, which they're obviously trying to catch your attention with. And there was a book there that did catch my attention, and I can't tell you the title, and I can't show you the full um, the picture of the book because the title is inappropriate to show you. Um, it, it goes something like this. Um, everything is, and I'm going to use the word messed up, uh, and my first thought when I saw that as we were going in with uh, Grace and Beth here is, I, I hope um, they don't start reading that title out loud. I hope I don't have to say anything. But then I noticed the subheading for it as well. Finding hope. I thought that was interesting. Finding hope. 
Uh, so this week, when I was coming to look at New Hope, I thought, well, I'm just going to you make advantage of um, Kindle, where you can download a free sample and read the first chapter and a half to see what is actually being said about hope from a point of view of somebody who is not a Christian. Where is he going to look for, for hope? And... Um, I won't go into all of the details of it now, but one of the things that he was talking about, and he quoted, is how some people describe that actually the world is better than it has ever been before. He quoted, um, I quote from his book, uh, from people like Steven Pinker and Hans Rosling, they point out the world is getting better. This is a quote from his book. It says, progress has continued uninterrupted throughout modern history. Racism, sexism, discrimination, and violence against women are at the lowest points in recorded history. We have more rights than ever before. Extreme poverty is at an all-time low worldwide. Wars are smaller and less frequent than at any other time in history. There is more wealth than ever before. We have cures for many diseases that once killed. Children are dying less and people are living longer. So this all sounds like reasons for hope. And then he goes on and looks at what is happening in the world. And he looks at it in uh, the United States. And I looked up some figures for the UK as well to look at what else is happening. Self-harm. Increasing in girls and young women, a report in 2019 stated. Of those questioned, 19.7% said they self-harmed. One in five self-harming. Look at... Mental health issues. Around 25% of people will experience mental health issues each year. The figures that I read included this. You may not be able to read them on the screen, but I will tell you them. 5.9 in 100 people with generalized anxiety disorder. 3.3 with depression. 2.4 with phobias. 1.3 with OCD. 0.6 with panic disorders. 4.4 with post-traumatic stress disorder. And 7.8 with mixed anxiety and depression. Adding up to something like 25% of people. If you imagine in the church, if we divided ourselves into the balcony and three parts here, it would be like everyone over here having issues with something to do with mental health. He's pointing out how much greater that is these days than it has been before. Loneliness as well. According to Age UK, there are 1.2 million chronically lonely older people. A survey by the co-op and British Red Cross finds there are 9 million who identify themselves as always or often lonely. I hope I haven't depressed you too much with those figures. But this is what he concludes. This is what Mark Manson concludes in this beginning chapter of the book. The incredible progress made in health, safety, and material wealth over the past few hundred years is not to be denied. But these are statistics about the past, not the future. And that's where hope inevitably must be found, in our visions of the future. Hope doesn't care about the problems that have already been solved. Hope cares only about the problems that still need to be solved. Because the better the world gets, the more we have to lose. And the more we have to lose, the less we feel we have to hope for. 
and it's interesting, isn't it? I thought there's actually quite a lot of truth in this. The better the world gets and the happier people seem to be, the more we expect to be happy and to see things getting better. And if they're not for us, there's something wrong. And that can send us into all kinds of things of blame, shame, all the things that aren't right, aren't as they should be. We can end up feeling lonely and isolated. We can end up feeling depressed. People can end up self-harming. Where is the hope? There needs to be a hope for the future. And uh, interestingly, that's what he talks about in this, because he describes that we are facing a crisis of hope today. And uh, what is the solution? He comes up with three things. Now, this is where I'm going to begin to bring back the Bible again in a minute. Um, because he talks about we need a sense of control over our lives, a cause to believe in, a community to share with. Those are some of his conclusions. And the way he gets there, I would question as a Christian. And there's one thing important that I would say is missing. Uh, some of you may recognize this gentleman. Uh, you might have done more so in the late 80s and early 1990s. Terry Anderson, chief correspondent for the Middle East for the Associated Press, kidnapped in Beirut, Beirut on March the 16th, 1985, held captive for nearly seven years until the 4th of December, 1991. When he was released, he was asked the question, did you have hope whilst you were there, whilst you were in prison? This is what he said about it. Hard question. Of course, I had some blue moments, moments of despair, but fortunately, Right after I became a hostage, one of the first things that fell into my hands was a Bible. Over the last six and a half years as a captive, I have spent a lot of time with the Bible, and that helped me so much because it's about hope. It's about trust in God, and that's what gave me the strength to make it through each day. You do what you have to do. Faith helps you to do what you have to do. I spent a lot of time with the Bible, and it reminded me to do the best I could each day and to trust God for the future. If you come here today with a lack of hope, looking into 2020 with whatever it might be that's casting a burden over you that means the future does not let look good, the future looks bleak, let me encourage you to do what Terry Anderson did. Turn to the Bible and the hope that there is within it. Keep looking at it because it tells us of the hope that there is. And this is where I want to bring in the passage that we have looked at and to take actually from Mark Manson some of the signs of hope that there are that we can have, but in particular to change the first one and develop the next two from what he says. And, and I should say, I haven't read the whole of the book. This is only what I've taken from one chapter, so I might be being unfair to him in some of what he's saying. But I do understand that from what he was saying, he's not coming from a Christian context, and I want to bring one into it because I think there are important things to say. The first thing is this, that we need a sense, not of control over our lives, which he says we need to have some feeling that we can control what's going to happen next. But we need a sense of the one who is in control. Because you see, what he's saying about taking control of our lives, having some form of the way that we affect what we do, of course in one sense that is true, and we do need to do these things. There are so many self-help books that have been written. 
but they are only ever going to take us so far because there is always going to be a problem. You see, there is going to come a time when there are things that are beyond our control. We are one diagnosis at the doctors away from discovering how little control we have over certain things. We are um, just one tragic accident away from discovering the fragility of life for ourselves or our loved ones. There are things that happen in the world that we can never control. There's only so much we can do. And yet there is one who is in control. Look at our reading and these words that are to bring hope to a people who have a crisis of hope. Verse 17, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. You see, God is telling us here about the hope that we can have for the future. I, I believe that Mark Manson quite rightly uh, identifies that hope is about looking to the future, not things that have been achieved. As we look to the future, God is saying there is a new heaven and a new earth. I am doing something. I am creating something. Take joy in it because it is good. It is great. That's what we need to understand. If you are lacking in hope, today. If you come despondent for whatever the reason, take hope in the words of Scripture and the promises of God that will always be fulfilled. And God promises, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth. Take joy in this. Be glad and rejoice forever because what he is going to create and what he is going to do is good. And out of all the um, storms the tumultuous things that happen in life, the uncertainty, the difficult things that happen, the life that we have to face that isn't as we would choose it to be. Through all of these things, we can have hope. We can have hope. Because one day, everything will be put right. And then the former things will be forgotten because we will be rejoicing in the wonder of the new heaven and the new earth that is created. Today, let me encourage you to seek hope in the one who is in control of everything. However things might feel at times of being out of control, he is in perfect control. And one day, we will understand. Now we can only see in part, but one day, we will fully understand. A sense of the one who is in control. That's what we need if we're going to have hope for the future. Secondly, it talks about a cause to believe in. We have to have something that is worthwhile, that it feels like we can give ourselves to something. Uh, and I suspect, uh, although I can't confirm this because, as I say, I haven't read the book, he's talking almost about religious things. But it's kind of, I would suspect, will come from the perspective of what works for you. If your belief is in everyone will be happier if you're more healthy, work behind that cause to encourage people to take exercise. That's the kind of place that I feel that he's coming from. But of course, any future, because it's outside of our control, it can only take us so far. Because actually we can believe, let's just take that as an example, that if we're more healthy, it will help us. 
But however much we do, however much we look after what we eat and take exercise, we're still not in control of our health. It can only ever take us so far. And yet the hope of Scripture and the hope of God takes us beyond this. Look at some of the causes that we could come up with here in these Scriptures. Verse 20, never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. One of the tragedies of life is it can seem so unfair that some people live to a really good age and some people get taken far too soon. It isn't fair. But the promise of the new heavens and earth is that this will be a thing of the past. There will be fairness. He who dies at 100 will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed. We're talking with God about the eternity of life with him forever. But there's unfairness as well because they're used to the fact of the oppression that they have. They can build houses. They can plant crops and they will be taken by those who have invaded their land. But it talks about this, a new fairness, a new justice. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. There's going to be a change with this new heaven and this new earth. The, fair, uh, the unfairness, the injustice of what has been will be removed. That's a hope that we need to have because we see so much in our world that is unjust and unfair. One day, it's all going to be gone. There will be a new fairness. There will be new justice. And these are actually causes for us to work around now. If that's the future of the new heaven and the new earth, we are to work now to begin to create that new heaven and the new earth where we live. And so we take issue with things that are unfair and unjust, and we try and do our bit to change things, to make the world more like God wants it to be. We have a cause to believe in. And it goes further than that as well, because verse 25 talks about where there would normally be a lack of peace and enmity, they're becoming peace. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. It's a lovely image, isn't it? And this image of peace, peace, everyone living at peace. Wouldn't our world be a better place? Wouldn't we have more hope if everyone wanted to live in peace together? Something else we can work for, we can strive for, we can pray for. A taste of heaven here on earth. What will be of the new heavens and the new earth that will one day be created, where everything will be put right. We have a cause to believe in because this is good. Working towards fairness and justice, working towards peace. These are good things. We have a cause that we can work together with. And of course, we have a community to share with it. You know, you need a community because actually you find a fuller expression of it where you find like-minded people. That's what we can have here in church together, a community of people who are like-minded 
says this in our verses, in verse 18, second part of it. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. This is who we are, God's people. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The very fact that there's a Jerusalem, that's not one person, that's a community of people. We are a community of people. We are God's people together. And we can encourage one another and help us along the way so that when we are lacking in hope, we can be the word of hope. We can be the action that makes the difference for the other person to help them keep moving forward. We have a community to share with and work alongside. And it talks about this as well. They will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And it's speaking about how there is a closeness in that community between us and God. You see, again, let me offer out this idea of hope, and I ask spiritually, how hopeful are you for the future? There may be people who are here today who are struggling with their faith, for whom God seems very distant to the point of questioning whether he is even really there. And again, this new hope comes because it says that may be how it is so now, but the day will be when I will be answering before you've even spoken because there is that closeness, that promise, that one day, all that separates us from God will be removed and we will be close with him forever. How much hope do you have at the beginning of 2020? Let me finish with a story that I heard from the war time in Hungary, where... Um, where prisoners of war had a task to do. They were working in a sewage works. And then it was bombed. And so there was no work for the people to do. Uh, and so determined to keep the prisoners of war busy, uh, the people who were running it, the Gestapo, got them to move all the rubble from one place to the next field. And when they'd done that, to remove that rubble and take it back again. Uh, and the story goes that this was a moment where the atmosphere in the camp really changed because people started losing hope because of the wastefulness and the pointlessness of what they were doing. They needed something to have hope in. When we have hope removed from us, we are going to feel down and depressed. We're going to feel that everyone else has something that we don't, and we're going to be missing out. But actually, what we need to look to is the new hope that comes in Jesus. The new hope that we are promised in Scripture of a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> we may not be in control. We may have things that happen to us that are 
take us life into a completely different way from where we would ever choose to go. We may be sad, we may be hurting, but God is in control. We need a sense of his presence. We need a cause to believe in, working for the things of his kingdom because they will have eternal value and we have a community to share that with, that promise that we are loved, we are his people. And one day, however far away he might seem right now at times for us, he will be there right with us. He is there right with us now, but we can't always see it. But one day, we will see undoubtedly. New hope. How is your hope today? How much hope do you have? May God help you find your hope in him. Amen.